The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your mercy, for your grace. We thank you for this Advent season that you are pointing us ahead to the incarnate Word, the very expression of your personality and your, your infinite being, wrapped up in an infant born uh, to a virgin. And so, Lord, we come now to think about uh, Mary, about that virgin, about the chosen one that you have uh, placed your word inside and through whom you gave it to us. We pray, God, that you would reveal to us your own wisdom, that you would give us your own insight, and that we would be uh, your servants, and that you would let it be to us according to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. I'd like to give thanks also. You can give thanks. For two years of your being here today. Yeah, today is today's the anniversary. So, yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate that. I, Jim mentioned I had forgotten it, but the, yeah, Advent too. Advent too was my first Sunday, and if you remember, I came in. Gave the sermon and then left for a week on, on vacation, which I think that was a pretty good. Uh, somehow, Trent's getting ready to leave on vacation, I, and I don't know how that got scooped. Um, but well, we um, what a, what a joy uh, to to have been here. Just thank you. I, I wasn't planning on that, and um, but thank you so much. It, it is a the joy of my life, uh, one of the challenges of my life. But it, it wouldn't be good if it if it weren't hard. So um, it is. Uh, it's hard and wonderful, um, but we love being here. We hope to be here for many, many uh, years. All right, well, enough about me. Let's talk about Mary. She's a much better subject uh, and one I'm much more comfortable with. Um, so last week, we looked at the Annunciation, and we said that the virgin birth is a doctrine that we cannot compromise on as Orthodox Christians, small o, Orthodox Christians, that we can't comp- um compromise to skeptics on, on the virgin birth uh, because uh, it has to do not just uh, with the miraculous nature of it uh, and not just with prophecy foretold but with uh, the actual nature of Christ as fully God and fully man. Uh, and if we can't give away the virgin birth then we of course uh, can't give away uh, the virgin. And we, um, we talked a little bit about how uh, that seems very natural and intuitive for those from a Roman Catholic background, but from those from a more Protestant background, Mary, we're not really sure what to do uh, with Mary. And, uh, and so uh, I, coming from a more Protestant background, I'm really trying to learn and, and appreciate uh, those uh, who, uh, from a more Catholic background, and to understand a little bit more, to find a good, uh, well, biblical spot for, for where we are with, uh, with Mary. I read this, um, uh, this quote from Timothy George, who is the uh, founding dean of Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham. Uh, I've run across him a couple of times uh, in my life, but uh, he wrote this. He said, Mary hears the word of God and responds in faith, speaking uh, of what she heard from the angel. Mary hears the word of God and responds in faith and thus is justified by faith alone. Mary was a disciple of Christ before she was his mother. For she had not believed, sorry, for had she not believed, she would not have conceived. 
Mary's faith, too, is not the achievement of her own merit, but the gift of divine grace. This means that when we praise and love Mary, it is God whom we praise for His gracious favor to His chosen handmaid. And that's very helpful to me. Uh, She is uniquely favored uh, among all humanity. Uh, She is the one who bore to us the Son of God, uh, the chosen instrument of God, and so she is worthy of our uh, honor and our um, uh, admiration doesn't seem like a strong enough word, um, but, but certainly our, our love and our emulation um, for her great faith. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What a great posture for all of us. So, what, is, what, the, um, what the Lord, uh, through the angel, what he, one of the ways that he demonstrates to her that, that the Lord is truly working uh, in her midst and in, in her body even, is that, that the, this unique work of God, Angel points Mary to another miraculous conception uh, in her elder cousin, uh, Elizabeth. Now, I can think of five total miraculous conceptions in Scripture. So there's uh, Sarah, a- Abraham's wife. She was like 90. Bless her heart. Um, <laughs> perfect. Um, then there was uh, Samson, uh, whose mother's name is not even mentioned. His father—we talked about this week in uh, Bible study. His father's name was Manoah. Manoah. Yes, thank you. And um, and then uh, Samuel, Hannah was her name. And Hannah's song really, really re- is reflected in, in large part in, in Mary's song uh, as well. So Samuel, Samson. Isaac, but here we have two. Is there any more? Am, am I missing any? I, I went back over my mind a couple. I must have got them all. Um, Wasn't uh, one of Jacob's wives? One of Jacob's wives. Oh, yeah. Well, so she was, yeah, that's right. So Rachel uh, was barren, and Leah was, um, uh, Leah had lots. And, but then Rachel ended up, I mean, uh, Leah ended up having had, having children. So she, it, she was barren, and then she had several, including Judah, I believe, who was uh, was of the line of uh, the line from Jesus. So that's another good one. Thank you. So let's read, beginning with verse thirty-nine, about Mary's visit to Elizabeth. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So, Mary's parents uh, are not mentioned in Scripture, but traditionally, uh, particularly through the Roman Catholic Church, St. Anna and St. Joachim. His descendant played basketball uh, at Florida, Joachim Noah. Um, You can see the genealogy, direct line. Um, but so, um, 
Joachim and, and Anna. Now, we don't know about them. We don't know. We're not told. It seems that Mary went alone. That's what it looks like. We're not told. I don't know enough about the culture to say why that would have been. Mary would have been a teenager, a pregnant teenager at that. Just told by the angel of the Lord, you would think she would go into like super, we would put her in, uh, in a vault or something, an armored car uh, at least. But, um, but so, somehow she, she goes and she greets she goes to see Elizabeth. We're not told exactly how close the, the relationship was, but they were, they were relatives. Uh, Elizabeth certainly was much older uh, than young Mary. And it's interesting to me. Uh, I mean, here, here, well, here's what we, I'll tell you what's interesting after I read what we know about Elizabeth from the earlier part of Luke chapter 1. It's not in your note. But this is what we we hear verses 5 through 7 in chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. So she's a descendant of Aaron, Moses' line, a Levite. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So that's, that tells us a lot that, that they had lived their life faithfully to the Lord. Obedience uh, as good Jews, but it seems even more than just being good Jews, it was, it was, um, it was much more about their, uh, their relationship to the Lord. They, uh, they, walked, they were righteous before God. They walked blamelessly. Uh, but they had no child because she was barren and, and, and they were old. And so it was a foregone conclusion that they had, their time had been passed. And we move ahead to verse 24. This is after Zechariah. If you, if you remember the story, Zechariah is the priest. He draws a lot. He, he is the one who goes in for the annual uh, time to make sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. The angel of the Lord, Gabriel, appears to him. says, you're going to have a son. His name is going to be John. Zechariah says, how, am I, how do I know that you're telling the truth? And Gabriel says, how about this? You're not going to talk until he's born. And, um, and <laughs> shut up. Um, and so, um, and, and so, sure enough, she, she conceives. Uh, at verse 24, uh, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So barrenness, childlessness, was seen as uh, a, some sort, some a, a curse or a lack, at least a lack of favor. Uh, she felt shame for not being able to produce honor for her husband, though they had walked blamelessly. You think about this mindset that says, uh, Lord, I've scratched your back. Why don't you scratch mine now? It's one that we can easily fall into. And yet they remain faithful all their life. But here she says, uh, God has given me uh, this child, done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now, let me ask you this. We have a long barren and long righteous pastor's wife who has uh, who has worked tirelessly for the Lord who has surely well I don't know I mean I don't know that culture but I would think particularly in that culture even more than ours as difficult as infertility is in our culture that probably even more so in that culture 
And so you think just, just nights, weeping or frustration month after month, and now this sort of resignation. And here comes this young cousin, unwed, who says, I'm having a baby. Who has the right to look down on this teenager more than Elizabeth? I mean, I just think given her situation, it would have been incredibly easy for her to say, kind of, you know, harumph, just, just well. I mean, you can stay, you know, in the manger, you know, I, you know in, in the stall. So, but, but what is incredibly wonderful is that as Mary offers her her greeting, the greeting is mentioned three times. We're never told what the greeting is. So what what is uh, important is the response, not just of Elizabeth, but of the child in her womb that leaps for joy. And isn't it strange that Mary, Elizabeth doesn't say, ooh, the baby kicked. I mean, that would have been normal. They could have laughed about it. But it seems it was this immediate gracious response, not, not over cups of tea uh, after Mary had told her the whole story, but Elizabeth is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And she reverses the socially accepted or expected role where the younger would greet the elder. Now Elizabeth really becomes Mary's servant. If you look at the language that she uh, is saying, she um, she is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's very important because the Holy Spirit's job always is to point us uh, to Christ and to fill us with knowledge about the Lord. Um, whether it be convicting us of our sin or uh, helping us to uh, stay away from judgment for procuring faith within us, the Spirit is always to point us to faith in Christ. And, and what we see is that by the Spirit, she knows not only that, she knows that the baby didn't just kick, but that He leapt for joy. Now, babies can't leap. <laughs> I mean, they can kick. <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know all about that. Um, but they can't leap. And, and it just, you know, it makes you think that of the, uh, of the passage, it says that, um, and I wish I could recall it exactly, but you know, the lame will leap for, uh, like the deer you know, in, in prophecy. Now, this is, uh, this is the... the I mean, John the Baptist, that was going to be his mission. And even in the womb, he is uh, announcing the presence of the Lord. And the child uh, in her womb had, had one job, and that was to point to Jesus. And even there, he is, he is doing his job. And you can imagine Elizabeth telling uh, Mary the story of the angel uh, appearing to Zechariah that he had written down on the tablet uh, to tell her, and Elizabeth expresses uh, her faith in Jesus. Like Timothy George said that Mary became a disciple of Christ before she became his mother. So is Elizabeth a disciple of Christ where she says, she calls him uh, his Lord. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She knows by the Holy Spirit that the child in her womb is her Lord, her Savior. And she is awed and humbled by this. And we see that her righteousness uh, that was um, accounted for in the early part of Luke, that that wasn't just, uh, that wasn't um, done so that, it seems to me anyway, that, that her righteousness wasn't just so God would bless her. 
but so immediate is her, her humility that we see that her righteousness was the fruit of God's Spirit working within her uh, all along. Um, so not only is she saying that she is blessed, that the mother of the Lord should come to me, that Mary is blessed, uh, that she, uh, who, and Mary is blessed because she believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We don't, Mary hasn't told her this yet. Mary said hello. And the Holy Spirit uh, let, let... Now, I've never had, a, I've never had a, an experience like Elizabeth's had. You know, obviously, obviously with, with, but, but uh, this sort of prophetic experience, knowing something that I ought not to know, except by the, except by the Holy Spirit. This is a, a really wonderful and really unique thing that is intended to build up all uh, of our faith. Um, this sort of deep calling out to deep. The Holy Spirit has placed the child in Mary's womb. The Holy Spirit has placed this knowledge uh, inside of Elizabeth. Let me ask you, how, how do you... Um, how do you see this? When you're reading this passage, you hear this passage read in church, you're reading it in your devotions, what stands out to you, uh, if anything? I mean, because it's between the Annunciation and the Magnificat, so it's sometimes easy to, to jump over this passage. But what, what strikes you? What, what jumps out to you about this passage uh, with Elizabeth, this interaction? That the presence of the Lord is strong with them as it is with us. The presence of the Lord is as strong with them as it is with us. I, I don't disagree with you. Tell me what more of what, what you mean by that. I mean, they, they knew that they were in, in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. All three of them, the baby in the womb and the two women. Mm. We get that feeling, maybe not all the time. I certainly don't get it all the time. But when I get it, I know I'm in the presence of God. Mm. It's overpowering. And it just reinforces everything. Mm. It really is. I mean, I have to be... So you're talking about just knowing you're in the presence of God. I have to be... Um, sometimes it takes discipline for me to, to be in tuned to it. Uh, I can remember a time where uh, I was teaching. I was get, uh, it was I did a Eucharist uh, when I was in Birmingham for a number of years. I did a Eucharist uh, every Monday on um, at a retirement facility, and uh, and I was teaching on the prodigal son, and particularly on the elder brother, and the Holy Spirit just showed up, and some we were talking about how the elder brother uh, was always righteous, and yet the heart was far from the Lord. And, um, and there was a woman who just, who just, I mean, I think she came to faith right there. I mean, it was just, it was that kind of, um, uh, that kind of moment where the Holy Spirit, and yet I was kind of concerned with getting through my, my sermon and finishing the liturgy because I had a meeting to get, like, it was just, it was, it was really in retrospect that I thought, oh my gosh, that was the, that was the presence of the Lord, that strong feeling. Um, I actually felt it yesterday. Uh, where um, at the um, at the quiet day, the daughters of the king quiet day, particularly as we closed up in our um, our noonday prayers, and we had a time of intercession, and it just kind of kept going. It, it was it was really wonderful. There was just a the um, time of intercession. Just just many people began to pray around the room, and it was just a really a strong presence uh, of the Lord. 
but it was. But you're right. I mean, I think that uh, we this same. What I what always amazes me about scripture is that, that we're talking about the same God that we know, and that it's this this child is our personal Savior. Uh, just like you might be reading about uh, one of your kids, uh, and you, you know, or the neighborhood kid in the newspaper. I mean, it's just you're, somebody you know is is you're reading about, but it just seems removed because this scripture is two thousand years old. But this is the one we. I don't know. You're right. We can stand, stand. We stand in His presence. What else? Yes, Ellen. By sending her to her cousin to confirm, you know, your cousin's pregnant, and mm-hmm. maybe it looked like Mary didn't know it at the time mm-hmm. through the Holy Spirit. And so when Mary was sent to Elizabeth, it was to comfort and confirm to Mary that what she had heard was true. Because sometimes, even though she believed it in our heart, we kind of have a little bit of doubt that it's really God, even though He's there. Mm-hmm. And so even God helped her, and maybe might have been a moment of weakness, we don't know, by sending her to her cousin. And it, it did confirm to her, I am pregnant you know, through the Holy Spirit. And it just kind of might have been a two-way thing, too. I, I agree 100%. Okay. So, so Ellen's saying that there was this was a real affirmation to Mary. I mean, you can imagine, <laughs> let's say you have the courage to tell your mom and dad that the angel of the Lord has appeared to you and said you're going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit. And, the, um, and, the, and your parents, I mean, just because they're rational people, say, you know, you, you ate too much pizza last night or so you know it was something that this is this can't be and you begin is as real as you know that it was you begin to have doubts and so here is another affirmation it is a very gracious affirmation from the lord that you begin uh, to say to this young woman that absolutely that the lord is moving uh, around her and in her uh, for the good of all humanity And I've never actually really framed it in my own head like this, but it's not. She doesn't sing the praise of the Lord after the angel. She sings it after after Elizabeth. So I think that affirmation is, is right. Yes, Melinda. Yeah, I wanted to add on to Ellen's. I think that too because it's like God sent her there for like another human being. Just like when we have our own problems and things, we seek out seek out our friends and mm-hmm. hopefully our Christian friends to help us. Yeah. So I think it's the same thing. And then you affirm with that person. You know, she felt comfort. She's a young teenager. She needed someone, like you said, even if. She, even her believing, she needed someone else to say yes. This is what's happening. You know? mm-hmm. She needed somebody older than her that she looked up to. Yeah, and her mother couldn't do it because her mother had probably had had children in, in her regular you know season. So this was she couldn't do that. And let me just say, so you've talked about how much Christians need one another, and this the two women. It comes naturally to women, right? Guys, this is, we isolate ourselves. Really, I mean, we don't know what to do with our feelings. Listen, let me tell you, men need men. Let me just say, I mean, this is not really here in the past. I'm just getting my own soapbox uh, uh, thanks to Melinda. It's Melinda's fault. But I, um, uh, I am, um, men need men, and we need, we need to pour into, uh, into each other. All right, thank you. Uh, somebody, yeah, Dorsey. Uh, uh, you know, with the 
being such a young child. Thankfully, she didn't go to some back alley abortionist and have an abortion. Well, you know, yeah. Keep, keeping it away from her parents. Mm -hmm. They go on for because of the disgrace and whatnot. Well, yes, I don't know. I don't know. Have any idea what the culture there was like? We're not told that her parents disapproved. It was really all speculation. We're just, we're just um, saying. I mean, the parents surely they found out, and they didn't. You know, they they uh, they didn't stone her or whatever. But but again, we we talked about last week how the um, Mary's trepidation would have been completely understandable because. Now two families stood to have uh, some really serious social repercussions. But well, sir, if you think about Joseph's reaction to Mary, <clears throat> which is another so second verse here, because he didn't, he wasn't really sure at all. Yeah, he was going to put her away quietly because he was a righteous told man. Him mm -hmm. what to do That's right. Because he had to have that extra confirmation. Because you know that there was scandal. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. And what are you going to do? And he got all the right information. Get rid of her. Right. So he was, I mean, as a righteous man, he was going to put her away quietly. Right? Like that, he wasn't going to make a big deal about it. But he still was going to, yeah, so he had to be told. That Lord. And that's Matthew's account. Matthew has a much more um, Joseph-centric uh, perspective on, on the birth narrative, whereas Luke has a much more Mary-centric. Well, the, the sermons um, on, on Joseph are so helpful. Hmm. Well, it's because of his name. Um, all right, so the... Um, it means the Lord provides. That's all. That's, something like that. Um, all right, so let's take a look at... Let's take a look, begin to look at the Magnificat and I really want to probably just look at the first couple of verses of it because there's a, there's a distinction between the first few verses through 49 where Mary's really talking about what this is like for herself and then she, she broadens it out significantly uh, starting with verse 50 uh, and makes it really for, for everyone. I'll read the whole thing but we'll, probably, we'll, we'll finish up next week. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy, as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. So Mary responds to Elizabeth's spirit-inspired joy, her prophetic word, 
And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary is not saying that her soul is making the Lord bigger. So I can remember, and you probably can too, uh, in science class, uh, we would take um, like drops of pond water, you know, and put them in a, on, on the little slide and, and look at them under a microscope. It probably has probably somehow you do it with your iPhone now. I don't know. But we, we, um, <laughs> we, we could look under a, uh, this. And, and I remember seeing, uh, I could see, because of the magnification, I could see things. We didn't change the water. The water was the same. Uh, but we could see little amoebas and little things, you know, swimming around. And the, the thing is that those amoebas, they were already there. I just couldn't see them. They had to be magnified. And so what Mary, I think, is saying is that there are things about God. My soul is allowing other people to see. They're already there, but you couldn't see them before. And part of what you're seeing is that God is a gracious Savior. He is breaking into the world. And what she says is now uh, that, she, that he has looked on her lowly estate. Right? So she, think about her lowly estate. She is uh, not a princess. She's just a commoner. Right? She is, a, um, she is probably uh, middle class at best by their, their standards, which would be dirt poor by, by our standards. Um, she is uh, now, she is, uh, I mean, she's just nothing special. Right? Except that she's faithful and humble and wonderful. God looks and sees uh, within her, uh, his, she's His chosen vessel. But she, He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. I mean, I think that's one of the things that just makes Mary so attractive to us today, is her humility. Um, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, if you remember from our All Saints uh, sermon, the word blessed in Greek, makarioi, uh, sometimes is translated uh, happy. Happy, you remember in the Beatitudes, the happy are they who, uh, happy are those who mourn. That didn't make any sense, right? So, fortunate, blessed. That it, not really any of those, there's not really a good English word, but if you combine all those, uh, one of the things I, I said in that sermon is that you might get, uh, the Lord has you in a good spot. Right? And from now on, all generations will see that the Lord has placed Mary in a, not just a good spot, not just a fortunate spot, but a unique spot. That God has used her in a way that He would not use uh, anyone else. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. In other words, she's saying that he um, looked all the way down on her. She was not one of the fortunate. She was in the valley of society. And he picked her up. And holy is his name. She's pointing to God and not to herself. So we have this poor, humble, faithful virgin who's chosen to carry the Savior of all mankind. And she's saying that she really is a picture of how God tends to work. That, sh- that He lifts up the lowly. We see all this. The proud He casts down. The, the humble He uh, exalts. And she has been chosen to be the Theotokos. Right? The, the God-bearer. The one who has, is blessed uh, to carry and bear the, and raise the Lord. So, that's really, we're a little early, but that's really what I have to say. But 
questions or comments uh, about this first part, her soul magnifying the Lord, and perhaps what, how our soul might magnify and our, our lives might serve as a testimony um, to God. Yeah, Rick. Well, I, I'll add certainly that the need is there for us to, to take on that. Okay. Um, I don't think um, I don't think there's a lot of people in society today that are ready. They're all fired up, ready to just jump right in. I think somehow there's a there's an obligation on our part. There's an obligation. Uh, there is. Um, <laughs> What is that? Uh, there, there's an obligation for us to, to magnify the Lord, to, to help others see. How might we do that? I, don't, I, I agree with you. How, how might we help others see? Now, we're remembering, of course, that this is a work of the Holy Spirit in, in Mary. How might we be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us? Yes, ML. Certainly helps you to read your Bible. Read your Bible every day. Yes. If you will start with something such as an Amicot or two or three of the Psalms, because all of them point to Jesus, mm -hmm. and it really increases your knowledge of the culture that we're trying so desperately to understand and know nothing about. Yes, yes. So reading your, reading your Scripture daily, I would say reading it in, in, um, in groups, reading it with people, come to Bible study. There's, so many, there's several great Bible studies. We have a Thursday night Bible study here led by Dorsey. We have two women's Bible studies. We're going to start some men's Bible studies uh, in, the, in the next in January. Yes? There's one Tuesday. 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 Oh, to the Tuesday morning men's group at, at Bob Evans. Yep, 8.30, right? Yep. I just want to say thank you for those bags you put together for us to give like, out to the homeless. Sure. It's a service, yeah. There's a lady I met sitting on the corner of uh, the Sears outlet on Clear Road. Mm. So I stopped, I got out of the car and gave her one of those, and I told her it was for my church, and mm -hmm. she just broke down crying. Mm. Well, Praise a, God. A man at, at that big Walmart, too, with two boys or three. And he's uh, limited. And I had one of the bags in the, in the car because I got out. And he had something. He said, I, I could sell you this. Hmm. Because he wasn't asking just for the gift. He was going to give you something in return hmm. that he had. But I was so thankful that I could reach in the car and give him yeah. two bags. So, you know, there's so much need all around us. And it's easy, at least for me, to just kind of look past it and look at my, myself. And so I'm so, I really, those bags are really great for to reminding us. But there, there's so much, many other ways that we can serve those around us. Yeah, service is a great way. Yep. One, one thing I guess we could do is use our spiritual gifts to, to minister to people. All right, what, so I, yes, what do you mean by, tell us what more what you mean by spiritual, use our spiritual gifts. Well, our spiritual gifts are teaching and I don't remember all of them. Yeah. But for me, you know, my 
I guess mercy and healing are two of my, and faith are, mm -hmm. are my spiritual gifts. So my healing I use to, to volunteer at places that need, need mm -hmm. me, and I need them. Yeah, so I think that, you know, one way to think about spiritual gifts is it's just what you're naturally good at. Like, you might be great at math and, you know, and great at accounting. And you can have a ministry to help people with their taxes or their budget or whatever, just as well as somebody can help volunteer. But it just whatever you're good at, whatever you like doing, there's a way to use that for the Lord. Um, so you don't have to think, well, I'm not good at anything the church needs. I'm just good at this other stuff. Well, we can figure out a way for that to work. Yeah. I think this is another example of how God uses humble people for His greatest work. Mm -hmm. Mainly because He knows that they will glorify Him and not themselves in the work. And so I would caution those of us sitting here who feel, oh, I don't have any particular gift, to be aware <laughs> Mm -hmm. of that fact that God uses the people who don't think they have anything to give. Right, Mary wouldn't have Mary wouldn't sit around going, when is God going to see see what I got to offer here? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um that's that's good. So everybody y'all should work real hard in humility and let me know when you get there. Right? Yeah. yeah, Rick. It just seems to me there's there's lots of passages in scripture where Jesus performed a healing or whatever yeah. and the his instructions to the person that he enlightened were, go away and don't tell anyone. Well, I don't... It's because they were Episcopalians. All the lessons I've learned, yeah. I haven't heard him say that to me yet. Yes. So maybe there's, there's a reason. Well, there is a reason. It's because they expected a different kind of Messiah, and he wasn't ready for the proclamation yet. But since he's already died and risen again, we, we don't have to worry about not telling anybody. We can, uh, I would say that now is the exception, not the rule. That was one of the last yeah. things Jesus said. There is this You can go tell, tell everybody. Tell. Yeah. yeah. Ralph. Yeah. Having uh, missed last week, I uh, have to comment, it's awfully nice to go online and hear last, last Sunday's discussion. Uh, I've always glossed over, you know, Mary's pregnancy as uh, being, having a science background happened but then if you start looking at what we know about fertilization now mm -hmm. uh, that we didn't know earlier in, in, in my lifetime uh, it, it's not inconceivable to start <coughs> how this actual starting of, of the, you know, the two cells if that's even a fair thing to say coming to one to start the body of Christ uh, the, uh, the more we learn uh, about fertilization or, or uh, science these days, we start to realize how, how little we don't know. Hmm. 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 Well, thank you. That's good. And we'll leave, because of our time, we'll leave it right there. And we will look next week of the uh, broader range of God's, uh, God, the way God works uh, in the world. And amazing to me that Mary really talks very little about the baby in her womb, uh, except for that he's the great thing that he has done for her. But really, now she's talking about mercy uh, for everyone. So, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Go to church if you have not already. And uh, we'll see. And come back for lunch with the, uh, for Lexi's fundraising lunch.